0: Welcome to Redemption Church. You're listening to our weekly podcast. Thanks for tuning in. we sin, that we turn our way away from the Lord, and that we run, and we rebel, and we are separated from the presence of God, but God, He comes for us, and just as God sends a fish to Jonah, God sends His son Jesus to save us, and so that's Jonah, that's you, that's me, because we are Jonah, and that leads us up to today, where we're going to do Jonah chapter 2. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me. We're actually going to start in 117. Here's what it says. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. Today we're going to talk a little bit about the fish. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. 2-1. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress. He answered me out of the belly of Sheol, that is hell, that is the grave, that is death. And you heard my voice. Do you believe that God hears your prayers? Do you believe that God hears when you call out to him? Do you believe that God hears your voice? Do you believe that when you're sinking and drowning and you seem to be hopeless, that God, he hears you? says he heard my voice for you cast me into the deep into the heart of the seas and the flood it surrounded me all of your waves and your billows they passed over me so jonah he is sinking and he is drowning he is being tossed back and forth by the waves everything is crashing down all around him he's being tossed back and forth by the waves then i said i am driven away from your sight yet i shall look again Upon your holy temple. In the Old Testament, that word temple, what it means is this is the place that houses God's presence. We saw last week that Jonah's fleeing from the presence of God. And now he's saying, God, there's nowhere to go. There's nowhere to run. There's nowhere to turn. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to turn and look upon your holy temple. And God, I am turning back towards your presence. That's the presence of God. Verse five, the waters closed in over me to take my life. He is about to die that he is facing his certain death. It's impending doom upon the life of Jonah, that this is it for him. This is the end. It's over. His life is dead. His life is done. There's nothing left that he can do. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. And at the root of the mountains, I went down into the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit. O Lord, my God. And then he says this amazing statement right here. When my life was fainting away, how many of you feel like that right about now? When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. The sermon title today is this, Jonah Turns to God. Okay, but before we get into that, I need to address Jonah and the fish. Some of you are thinking about the fish right now. Right. Yeah, okay, this Jonah story is pretty cool, but what about the fish? How many of you are still thinking about the fish? Okay, let's just for a moment talk about Jonah and the fish. You're wondering, how did a guy survive in the belly of a fish for three days? Now, Some of people, they come to the Bible and they say, this is the reason that I can't be a Christian, right? Because all of these crazy stories in the Bible, I mean, something about a guy getting swallowed by a fish, I mean, that is crazy, and I'll give you that. Okay, yeah, this is crazy. This is weird. This is a little unusual. And um, that's the reason that we call it a miracle. Okay, A miracle, by definition, is something that is not supposed to happen. This is a miracle. This doesn't happen all the time. If this happened all of the time, then we wouldn't call it a miracle. We would call it Fish Friday or something like that. If everybody's just getting swallowed by fishes, then this isn't going to be something unusual, but instead this is a miracle. And so when it comes to understanding Jonah and the fish, you really kind of only have three options. Okay, The first option is this. Maybe this didn't happen at all. Right. Some people believe that they'll say, oh, the story of Jonah is an allegory about, you know, the stories of life and how to uh, the storms of life and how to overcome adversity and difficulty. It's just a good story written by some people who wanted to pass it along for a moral story for children. They'll say it's fiction. It's fanciful. It's just some big fairy tale. And they'll say that Jonah, it didn't actually happen. But I think that's a bad explanation for a couple of different reasons. First is, we know that Jonah is a real historical person, that Jonah really lived, and he really he really, was a person who served as the prophet of the nation of Israel in the northern kingdom. His story is found in 1 Kings chapter 14. It's also written about elsewhere in other Hebrew history. And the Israelites in Hebrew history, they took meticulous detail of their stories and they didn't make it a part of their culture to invent fanciful stories to pass along to have people to believe that they're real. So historically, that excuse, it just does not add up. The second reason is it denies the authority of the scriptures. Okay, as Christians, we believe in what we call the authority of the scriptures, that this is God's word. And that this word is true, it's trustworthy, it's timeless, and it tells us exactly who God is, what God says, what God does, and it's the final rule and authority of the life of the believer. And so to disregard Jonah is to disbelieve in the authority of the Scriptures. But some people, they do that. They come to the Bible and they pick and choose what they like, what they don't like, what they want to believe, and what they don't want to believe. And what they do when they do that is they stand in authority over the Scriptures instead of living under the authority of... Of the scriptures. And so to disregard Jonah is to disbelieve in the authority of the Bible. Okay? And the number three is this. Jesus says that Jonah was a real person, that Jesus, he comes and he teaches and talks about Jonah. He says that Jonah really lived. Jonah really preached. Jonah really went to Nineveh and Jonah was really swallowed by a great fish. And so Jesus believes in Jonah. He talks about Jonah. And so to disregard the life of Jonah is to essentially be calling Jesus a liar. And I don't think that's a good option either. So I reject that. So some people say he didn't exist. I think that's a bad option. Here's the other thing. Um, some people say that maybe Jonah didn't actually live in the fish. Okay, some people think that, you know, maybe Jonah died. Maybe the fish swallowed him. Jonah died. And then three days later, the fish vomited him up on dry land. And God brought him back to life. Okay, that could happen. We know that there are several miracle stories in the Bible to where God does bring people back to life. We also know in Matthew chapter 12, and this is why some people say this, is that the sign of Jonah, Jesus says, is the sign that I will give you, that just as Jesus was in the heart of the grave for three days and three nights, God brought him back, just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, maybe, possibly, God brought him back as well. That's an option. I think that could happen. Um, It's possible, but I don't believe that's the best option, because what we're going to see here in... Chapter 2 today is that Jonah's going to pray to God while he's still in the fish. And so how can you pray if you're dead? And so I just don't think that's the best option either. Here's what I think. I think that God in his sovereignty, he looked forward into the future from eternity past and God chose and called and he wanted Jonah to experience his mercy and get on his mission, but he knew just how stubborn and hard-headed and hard-hearted Jonah was gonna be and he knew that Jonah was gonna run, but God, he wanted to bring Jonah into his great plan of grace and mercy and redemption and salvation and God chose Jonah and as Jonah ran God said you know what I'm gonna run after him and so when it came time for creation God he created a fish that was large enough to be able to house Jonah and use it as a message or a means of delivering him to where God wants him to be and here's the reason that I think that because in Jonah 117 here's what it says And the Lord had appointed a great fish. That word appointed, it says had, that God had created this for a purpose, that there was a specific reason, a call upon this fish to be able to accomplish a goal that God has for him. That God created this fish for this specific reason. And all the fish was doing is obeying the word of God. This is why I tell you all the time, do not get focused on the fish, right? If all you do is think about the fish right? You're like, Jonah got swallowed by a fish. If all you do is think about the fish, then you're going to miss the entire point of the story. The story of Jonah is not about a fish. The story of Jonah is about the unrelenting, overwhelming, amazing grace that God has, that God can reach down from heaven to earth in the most painful, difficult, dark days of your life. And God can take the biggest mistake that you've ever made and he can turn it into your greatest miracle. But that's just me. You believe what you want to believe, okay? But here's, here, just for a moment, I want you to think about this. Okay, what would it be like to be Jonah? Just think about that. Remember, the series is We Are Jonah. And so for a minute, I want you to put yourself in Jonah's position. What would it be like to be in the belly of a fish? Okay, I don't even like eating fish. Okay, I can't imagine being eaten by a fish. But just for a minute... Just think about that. What would it be like to be swallowed by a great fish? I mean, fish are disgusting, right? Fish are nasty. Nobody wants to touch a fish, but you're in the fish, okay? It's probably pretty gross. It's probably just really nasty and and grimy and filthy and dirty. Like, you don't know what else is in there, right? He says that my head is surrounded by weeds, right? What else is happening in this fish? So it's got to be pretty nasty, um, he's probably feeling very claustrophobic. I mean, I'm just assuming there's not a lot of room to move around when you're inside of a fish, right? The whole world is closing in around him. He can't move. He can't breathe. He doesn't know what's going on, and it's also very dark. Like I have to wonder, um, how did? Do you think Jonah even knew that he was in a fish? I mean, how many of you, you wake up and you're like, "Oh my God, I'm in a fish," right? It's just not the first thought that a person has, when they're in this type of this situation, they're like, oh no, I'm in a fish. Like I have to wonder if Jonah even understood that he was in a fish. So it's, it's nasty. It's dark. He's claustrophobic. He's clueless. And then if he does understand that he's in a fish, well, he's in the bottom of the sea, right? What does he do if he gets out of the fish? Where does he, where does he go then? What does he do then? Right? Swims up to the top. He's in the middle of the sea. He drowns, stays in the fish. He's dead. He drowns. It's almost like you're damned if you do, and you're damned if you don't. Like, what does Jonah do in this moment? See, last week, what we did is we thought that that chapter 1 was Jonah's worst day of his life. Right? We see the storms and the hurricane. He gets thrown over the side of the ship, and we think, this must be the worst day of Jonah's life. And then we read chapter 2, and we're like, oh no, this is the worst day of Jonah's life. Right? Just when you didn't think it could get any worse, all of a sudden it got worse, right? But that's how some of our lives are. That we go from our worst moment and then something else happens and we're like, oh no, this is the worst moment, right? That, that's how our life is. That Jonah jumps from a sinking ship and he gets swallowed by a fish. That's how life works sometimes. You jump from a ship and you get swallowed by a fish. That our whole life is ship, fish, ship, fish, And we just find ourselves in the same place day after day, minute after minute, moment after moment, month after month, that there is no respite, there is no relief. It's the worst day. It's the most difficult day. It's the darkest day of your life. And so what do you do in that moment? Where do you go? Where do you run on that day, on the worst day, on the most difficult day? Where do you turn? What we see here is that Jonah, he turns to God. On the worst day of his life, Jonah, he turns to God. I mean, Jonah is so low right now. I mean, none of us in our life have ever been as low as Jonah. I mean, he's at the bottom of the ocean, right? You've never been that low. I mean, he's not just at rock bottom. He is literally and figuratively, he has rock bottom. So what does Jonah do? Where does Jonah go? Where does Jonah turn? Where do you go when the doctor calls and says, you're not better, it's cancer? Where do you go whenever, whenever your wife hands you the divorce papers? Where do you go when you can't pay your bills and another one comes in and you don't know how you're going to pay rent? Where do you go when you can't afford to put gas in your car and then the car breaks down? Where do you go on the worst day of your life? What do you do? Where do you turn? Jonah, he turns to God. See, sometimes God gets you in a place where the only thing you can do is to turn to Him. I don't know if you guys know this about me or not, but I tend to be a very anxious person. I tend to worry pretty much about anything and everything all of the time. And my anxiety and my worry and my insecurity and fear, it hasn't had the best effect on my health. And even in the process of planting this church, Um, I put on like 20 pounds, right? I was very stressed and exhausted, had a very short fuse. I was angry, it would blow up all the time, and I started developing acid reflux. I can't sleep, I can't think, I can't eat. It has a severe effect on my health, not just my mental health, but also on my, my physical health. And all of this culminated, I believe, last year, whenever Ashley and I were getting ready to go on our first family vacation, we were gonna take our little girl to the beach, which by the way, don't take a baby to the beach, sand gets everywhere, it's not very fun. But we decided, you know what, let's take our baby to the beach. And so we were getting ready for for our first family vacation, and it was like the week before we were getting ready to leave, and I'm laying in bed in in the middle of the night, and all of a sudden I wake up. I'm wide awake, and I'm in excruciating pain. And I I can't breathe, I can't move, it feels like somebody's sitting on my chest, my chest hurts, my arm hurts, and I think, I'm having a heart attack. I'm like, I'm 32 years old, how can I have a heart attack? I'm laying there and I'm freaking out. This doesn't help my worry problems. And and so I'm laying in bed. I think I'm having a heart attack. I'm worrying. I'm worrying. I'm worrying. I look over and my wife is sound asleep and she doesn't worry about anything. And then I don't want to wake her up because then I don't want her to worry about me. And so what I did is I just laid there. I just laid there for about three hours And, and there was, there was just fear and there was just worry and there was great deals of pain. And then all of a sudden, the pain, it went away. And I thought, okay, well, that's over. You know, good, you know, that's a good thing. So I just got up and I just continued doing whatever it was that I was continuing to do until it happened again. And then it happened again. And then it happened again. And then I realized, I'm not having a heart attack. I'm having panic attacks. And that I was having these panic attacks. And I know what you're thinking. You're like, Pastor Byron, you seem so cool, calm, and collective. Like, you must really trust the Lord. Okay, in that moment, I was not trusting the Lord. In that moment, I was trusting anything and everything. I was trusting in my work, my efforts, my own work ethics. I was trusting in leadership, podcasts, and books that I read. I I was trusting in my own talents and skills and my own abilities. I was trusting in anything but the Lord. And all that did was get me to a place to where I was doubled over in pain. To where I didn't know what to do. I, I didn't know where to go. And so I think I spent that whole week leading up to the vacation just sitting on my couch. And I would read my Bible, and I would pray, I would practice spiritual discipline, spend time with my family, but most importantly, I got time to get in the presence of God. Sometimes God gets you in a place where the only thing you can do is to turn to Him, but it took me being doubled over in pain before I learned to turn to God's presence. And, and this is what I believe that Jonah is getting at when he says, when he says this, He says, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. He says, the world is closing in on me. I can't move. I can't turn. I can't breathe. There is no hope. I am totally hopeless and helpless. Yet. And I think that must be the most powerful word in all of the book of Jonah. He says, yet. I was dying. I was dead. My life was over. Yet. Yet you brought my life up from the pit. Do you believe that God can bring your life back? Do you believe that God can bring your life back up from the pit? Do you believe that the sovereign hand of God can reach down from heaven to earth in the middle of your most painful moment? He can meet you right there. And when you are dead and when you are done, he can deliver you and he can bring you back. Do you believe That the hand of God can find you even when you're in the pit. He says, oh Lord my God, when my life was fainting away, I, and here's the trick, Jonah's going to make a decision here. Jonah says, I remembered that you have to make a decision for your life. Jonah's going to make a decision, but you have to make a decision that I can't make that decision for you, that your family can't make the decision for you, that your parents can't make the decision for you, that your community group leader, your serve team leader, nobody can make this decision for you. You have to reach a part and point in your life to where you make this decision. Jonah, he makes the decision and Jonah says, but I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Let me tell you three of the most life-changing decisions that you will ever make. Repentance, prayer, and presence. Repentance. Jonah says, I remembered the Lord. Okay, what he's doing right here is, the story of Jonah is he is running from God, that he has gone as far and as fast and he has run away from the Lord. And he gets to a part to where there's nothing that he can do, there's nowhere that he can go, and there's nowhere that he can turn. And so at this part in Jonah's life, what he decides is, you know what? I remember the Lord. And so Jonah, he turns and he begins to obey the Lord. Okay, what that is, that's what we call repentance. Okay, repentance is something that is severely lacking teaching in the church today. We don't like to talk about repentance. We don't like to teach over repentance because, well, it makes people feel uncomfortable, right? Because repentance is basically saying you're wrong and nobody likes being told that they're wrong. And repentance is so important for the church. I mean, the first word out of Jesus's mouth in Mark is repent. Repent. For the kingdom of God is at hand. The first word out of Peter when he stands up on Pentecost to preach is to repent. Martin Luther, when he nails the 95 theses on the Wittenberg door, he says the beginning of the Christian life is a life of repentance. Christians are people who live a life of repentance. Repentance is so important. And there's a lack of teaching over this subject. So let me tell you a little bit about it. Okay, that word repentance, it comes from the Greek word metanoia, which literally means to change, to change your mind, to change your thinking, to change your direction. But it's not just a good idea, but it's turning and changing and living in a new way and in a new life. So here's Jonah's story. He's running from God. He remembers the Lord, he turns, and he begins to follow God. Okay, this is our life, that we are running towards sin. This is how we live. Our face is towards sin. That we do what we want, when we want, however we want. Nobody can tell us what to do because, well, it's our life and we're going to do whatever it is that we want to do. And we are living our life headlong into a life of sin. Repentance is a change of direction. To where it's no longer my wants, my needs, my life, but it's God's wants, God's will, and what God's plan is for my life. That now our back is to sin and our face is to God and that we are living in light of the goodness and the glory and the holiness of God. That's what repentance is. It's a change of direction. It's a change of living, a change of heart, a change of nature. It's a change of destiny in our direction. This is what repentance looks like. And Jonah, he remembers and Jonah, he turns. But let me tell you something. It's very, 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 very important. There is a difference between repentance and remorse. Okay. Some people, they're just remorseful. Okay. They're like, Oh God, I can't believe I'm in this situation that I'm in, but they don't want to do anything to change what led them there. They feel very remorseful. They're like, Oh God, I can't believe this. And then they just go and they do it all over again. That's what we call remorse, and the Bible talks about remorse, and it calls it worldly sorrow, and it says, worldly sorrow, in the end, it only leads to death, because there was no change, but repentance, true, genuine, contrite, humble, brokenness over your sin in light of the glory and the goodness and the holiness of God, that is the road that leads to life, because only repentance brings the change, and some people, they're very remorseful, but they don't want to do anything to bring about change. There is a difference between repentance and remorse. And so my question for you is this. Are you remorseful or are you repentant? Do you just feel bad or are you broken over your sin? Jonah, he remembers and Jonah turns, which is repentance. Number two, it says uh, prayer. Okay, Jonah says, I remember the Lord and my cry, my prayer came to you. So Jonah, he is praying. And this is what I find so interesting. Okay, How long did Jonah wait before he prayed? Three days. It took him three days of being in a fish to where eventually he was like, okay, God, I guess I'll pray. Right? It took him three days before he ever prayed. But isn't that just like us? I mean, aren't we Jonah? How many of you, you wait until the very last minute at the worst moment of your life, and then you're like, I guess that I should pray. Right? Why do we wait three days before we pray? How many problems in our life could be solved before we ever get to them if we would learn to pray first instead of praying last? Jonah waits until the last day, the third day before he ever even prays. And I was thinking about this. Why do we struggle so much when it comes to prayer? I think the reason we struggle when it comes to prayer is because we don't believe that God actually cares. We were talking about this in the freedom um, group that we have at our house that meets throughout the week. And it's a a ministry that we have for prayer and for deliverance and letting go of your past so you can move forward into everything that God has for you. And the other week we were in our um, freedom group and, and we were talking about trusting Father God. And many of us were like, you know, I really struggle with prayer because I really struggle to understand God as a father and to understand if God actually cares. And so as we were talking about it, I like to think in terms of a father because I'm a dad, and God, he is a father. And those of you who are parents, you understand this, right? As a dad, I listen to every request my child makes. Okay, She can come to me, she can talk all sorts of babble and all sorts of nonsense, and I'm like, yeah, that's amazing. Keep talking to me, right? Because I love my little girl, I listen to my little girl, I hear Whenever she comes and she talks to me. And here's the deal. I believe that God answers 100% of every single one of your prayers. Some of you are like, Pastor Byron, he doesn't, right? I've prayed and nothing happened. Something happened. God is probably doing 10,000 things in your life. And right now you might be aware of two of them. Okay, God did something. God hears, God listens to every single prayer that you have. And I believe that God answers 100% of your prayers. And like any good dad, he answers in three ways. Yes, no, and later. Okay, my little girl, she, every time we eat, at the end of every meal, she says, cookies, right? She wants cookies like all the time. And at breakfast, I say, no. And at lunch, I say, later. And at dinner, I say, heck yeah, let's have some cookies, right? But that's the same way that God answers your prayer. God listens to you. God loves you. God hears your prayers because God, he cares, So my question for you is this. Why do you wait three days before you begin to pray? The third thing that Jonah does is presence. So he starts by repentance and then it leads to prayer and that leads to God's presence. He says, my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Okay, I need you to understand this. On the worst day of Jonah's life, God met with him. When he was as far away as he could be, God was right there in the middle of the most painful experience and moment in Jonah's life, he experienced God's presence. That God was with him In that fish. See, if you're new Christians, non Christians, you need to understand this. Okay, every other religion in the world will say that God lives up there and we're down here, and that God is not concerned about the trivial plights and the existence of man, that God He does his own thing, and you and I, we are on our own. And if we ever want to earn an audience with God, then we have to we have to catch his attention. Now we have to do some good works and do some good deeds and live a good life and give this much money and dress this way and read this holy book and go on this sacred pilgrimage and then make. Maybe possibly we might be good enough for God to listen to our prayers. Christianity is exactly the opposite. Christianity is the opposite of that, because in Christianity, we don't make our way to God, but God has made his way to us, that we don't ascend to God, but God, he condescends to us, that God, he comes to us, that's exactly who Jesus is, Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, that he is the fullness of the presence of God, leaving heaven, entering into this world, experiencing our suffering, so that in the middle of our pain, we can experience God's presence. That's who Jesus is. And I love what the author of Hebrews says. This is just amazing. Hebrews 4.15, for we do not have a high priest. Okay, that's temple language. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted just as we are. Yet, there's that word again, yet he was without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near. That we are invited, that we are compelled, that we can draw near to the presence of God, to that throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Jesus, he understands. Jesus, he gets it. Jesus, he left heaven and entered in this world and he lived his life just like you and me. That Jesus was born, he had to learn to walk and to talk and to read and to write and to develop relationships. And Jesus experienced great deals of pain throughout the course of his life that Jesus understands misfortune. Jesus knows what it's like to be betrayed by friends, to be denied by family. Jesus knows what it's like to not be able to pay your bills. Jesus, he was homeless. Jesus, he was disregarded. He was cast down. Jesus understands tremendous sadness. He wept as we wept. He cried as we cried. He mourned as we mourned. And Jesus understands what it's like to wrestle with the will of God because Jesus in the garden, he wrestled with the will of God, God. Just as Jonah is wrestling in the fish, Jesus, he wrestled in the garden, that with the cross right before him, he, he knows that he's going to He meets with God in the garden and he's under so much anxiety and worry and stress and, and, and duress that he literally began to sweat blood, that the capillaries in his head they ruptured and under so much pressure, Jesus literally sweated blood. And Jesus got to a part to where he says Not My will, but Your will be done. And Jesus stands up, and He goes to the cross in our place, and He is arrested, He is tried, He is crucified, He is beaten, He is bloodied, He is battered, and He dies the most excruciating, suffering, painful death in all of human history so that you can have mercy, grace, and help in your time of need. Friends, listen to me. I know that life is hard. And I know that sometimes it hurts. And you might be at the most difficult, painful moments in your life. But hear me on this. It's better to go through life and experience God's presence in the midst of your pain than to live a life without pain and without his presence. So my question for you is this. Do you need God's presence? God has not forsaken you. God has not forgotten you. God has not abused you. God has not abandoned you. God is with you. And in the great fish, Jonah realizes this. He experiences God's presence in the middle of his pain. And what he does is he turns to God. And what that does is it turns his worry into worship. That Jonah, he stops worrying, and Jonah, he begins worshiping. Here's what it says next in verse 8. For those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope and steadfast love. That word right there is the Hebrew word hesed, which means the unwavering, unconditional, the, the the steadfast love, mercy, grace, that when God, he calls you, he loves you. When he says he loves you, he means it. He is forever and always good towards you. It's his steadfast love. And those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope in steadfast love, but I with the voice of thanksgiving. Okay. You know what that is? That is worship. Okay. How many of you in Jonah's place right now, you would not feel like worshiping, right? Is Jonah out of the fish? No, he's still in the fish, but what he is doing is he begins to worship God. That just goes to show that we worship by faith and not based upon our feelings, And that Jonah, he begins to worship God. He has not yet been delivered yet, but he still turns and he still begins to worship. That's because we don't wait until God delivers us to worship him. We don't say, oh God, if you get me out of this, then I will worship you. No, we don't worship God for what he does. We worship God for who he is. And Jonah, he turns and he worships God. He says, with the voice of thanksgiving, I will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Here what Jonah is doing, he's juxtaposing two things, idolatry and worship. Okay, the opposite of worship is not non-worship. The opposite of worship is idolatry. Okay, idolatry is anything that you put or place in the position of God in your life. Okay, every single person in the room and in the world is a worshipper. That's because we were created to worship. All of our life is unceasingly, unstoppingly, unendingly we are just worshipers. You either worship someone or something which is idolatry, or you worship the someone who created everything which is biblical worship. But nevertheless, every single person in the world worships because God has made us to be a worshipper. And so we are unceasingly worship. And whatever we put in the place of God, that is the idol. That is what you are worshiping in your life. And when we think of idolatry in America, we tend to think of those foreign countries somewhere else as they make little statues and they bow down and they make glory and sacrifices to it. But we have our own idols here, that there are things in your life that you bow down, you glory, and you sacrifice for. We all have idols. John Calvin, the great reformer, he says, the heart is an idol factory that we love to come up and create all of our own gods. And so me and my wife, we were talking about this week, and we're wondering what are some of the idols in our life? Right? And and so we had this little conversation, and my, my wife, she said, I think for me, motherhood is an idol. See, we prayed for our little girl for about six years. Okay, we had a miscarriage and then we prayed and there were seasons of infertility and, and so we prayed for our little girl and then God gave us a miracle and God gave us this beautiful little girl. But if we're not careful, then our daughter can become the center of our home. She could become the object of our affection, that everything begins to revolve around. And if we're not careful, our little girl, she can become an idol. I love my wife. And if I'm not careful, she could become an idol. I love you, I love this church. But if I'm not careful, then preaching and pastoring and teaching and leading and vision and church growth and all the things that God is doing in our lives and ministry, that can even become an idol in my life. If you're not careful, good things that take the place of God, they become idols in your life. And so Jonah, he gets in the fish and he realizes, you know what? I got some problems. I got some idols in my life. I got some things that just aren't where they're supposed to be. And so what are some of the things that we read about that Jonah, he has made idols? Well, I think that Jonah has a lot of pride. I think in a sense, Jonah, he idolizes himself. I mean, he talks about himself all the time. I, 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 me, me, me. I mean, Jonah, he really has some pride issues. I think he idolizes himself. He puts himself first and he's at the center of his own world. And so when God asks him to do something, he says, no, thank you, God. This is my life. I think Jonah has a little bit of pride in there. I think Jonah also idolizes his comfort. He's a prominent prophet, probably making a little bit of money, got a nice, good, comfortable life. Everybody knows who he is. And then God says, I want you to sell everything and to go and preach against the Ninevites. And Jonah's like, no, thank you. This is my life, right? I got this nice little plan, five-year plan. That doesn't involve your plan. I'm not listening to you. I think he idolizes his comfort, but don't we all idolize our comfort, right? Anything that's uncomfortable, it makes us Uncomfortable, and so we idolize our comfort. And number three, I think that Jonah is actually a racist. Okay, when you read through the story, not to give too much away, right? Jonah one, he talks a lot about I'm a Hebrew. You're like, okay, we get it. You're a Hebrew, right? Good for you. Um, but whenever Jonah goes to Nineveh, what happens is God saves all the Ninevites, and Jonah's like, I knew you would save them. That's why I didn't want to go. They're not worthy of your love, right? And you're like. Jonah, I think you got some racial prejudice going on right there. One of the underlining themes of the story of Jonah is this issue of racism. Jonah, he has some racial prejudice. He's got some nationalistic pride. And it takes Jonah being in a fish for him to realize you know what? I got some real problems in my life. There's some idols in my life. And so I want to give you an illustration. Let's think about this. How do you remove the idols from your life? Okay, and so I'm going to give you an illustration. I got this from Chuck and Didi again, from our um, freedom group. Okay, let's say that this glass is your life. Okay, and all of the air in the glass, those are your idols. So how do we remove the idols from our life? The only way to remove the idols from your life is to fill it with something bigger. The only way to remove your idols is to fill it with worship. See, the goal of your life is not to stop being an idolater. The goal of your life is to start being a worshiper. If all you do is worship Jesus, if you're just going to Jesus, spending time with Jesus, if you're confessing to Jesus, repenting to Jesus, if you're in the presence of Jesus, if you're in community, if you're a member of a church and you're surrounded by other people who love and serve Jesus, if you're taking your hopes and your wants and your fears and your faults and your failures, and you're bringing everything to Jesus, then there's not going to be enough time or energy or emotion left over in your life for idolatry and sin because you're in the presence of Jesus and you're worshiping Jesus. The goal of your life is to not stop being an idolater. The goal of your life is to start being a worshiper. And Jonah, he realizes this, that he's got some problems and he's got some idols. And so what he does is he turns and he begins to worship. Okay. You worship your way out of it. On the worst day of Jonah's life, he turns and he begins to worship. You worship your way out of it. And here's what Jonah says. With a heart of worship and with the voice of thanksgiving, he says, I will sacrifice what I have vowed I will pay because salvation. Salvation, salvation, salvation. Where is Jonah at? He's still in the fish. Worship precedes your deliverance. You want God to get you out of it, but you need to worship Him while you're in the middle of it. Jonah understands that worship comes before your deliverance. And Jonah says, salvation, salvation, salvation. It comes from the Lord. It belongs to the Lord that God can save, that God wants to save, that God desires to save, that God will save, that God loves to save and that God can save who he wants, when he wants, however he wants, because our God is a savior. And this is good news. Because in chapter 1, God, he saves all of the sailors. In chapter 2, God saves Jonah. In chapters 3 and 4, God's going to save the king. And then a massive revival breaks out all across the city. And 120,000 Ninevites, they get down on their knees. They repent, they pray, and they experience God's presence. And then, God, he just saves them too. And Jonah says, okay, God, if you're such a savior, and you just want to save a whole bunch of people... And that sounds like good news because I could really go and be saved right now. And so please, would you save me? And salvation belongs to the Lord. This is the good news of the gospel that you don't save yourself, but God, He saves you. That you don't earn your salvation, but God, He saves you, that you don't deserve your salvation, but God, He saves you, that you can't earn His grace and mercy, but God, He gives it to you freely because God He loves to save. And salvation belongs to the Lord. He can save who He wants. he wants no matter what you have done no matter how far you have run you have not outrun the long arm of grace and the favor of a savior because God he simply loves to save so who is this great God who saves we know that his name is Jesus Christ Several hundred years after the life and the ministry of Jonah, Jesus comes on the scene and people are looking and they're wondering, is Jesus who he says he is? Can Jesus do the things that Jesus claims to do? Is he really God? Has he really come? Can Jesus possibly save me? And people are wondering, they're waiting, they're watching, and they want to see a sign. And so they ask Jesus for a sign, but here's what Jesus tells them in Matthew 12. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, So the son of man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth for the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment of this generation and condemn it for they repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Jesus says the savior of Jonah is not the fish. The savior of Jonah is me that the whole point, goal, purpose, reason, objective of Jonah is to show that something greater than him is here, that it's pointing towards the coming of the presence of God in the person of Jesus Christ, that he would live the perfect life, the the, the life without sin, that he would die the painful death in our place, that he would be buried, and then three days later, Jesus would resurrect, conquering Satan, sin, hell, death, and the grave, and Jesus says that something greater than Jonah is here, behold, your Savior. And here it is. Just as Jonah was in the fish, Jesus was in the grave. And just as Jonah was about to die, Jesus actually died. Just as Jonah suffered, Jesus suffered. Just as Jonah was delivered from death, Jesus, he was delivered from death. Just as Jonah was saved, Jesus says, I will be your savior. And just as Jonah turned to me, if you turn to me, then I will love you. I will bless you. I will give you grace, hope, mercy, redemption. I will be your your savior. If you turn and you trust in me, we are Jonah, that we are sinners, that we have run away from God, but we have not outrun the grace of God because Jesus is our savior. There's hope for sinners because Jesus is the sinner savior. And so what I want you to do today, redemption, is I want you to worship God. I want you to worship him because there's this great God who saves that he reaches down into the biggest mistake of your life and he can turn it into the greatest miracle. And in the middle of your pain, you can experience his presence. And so we're going to worship with the voice of thanksgiving and some of you you need to you need to repent that's your first step of worship that you're running from god you have not turned and trusted in god that you're living your life in your own will and in your own way and you can't run any longer and so today is the day that you begin to Repent, Others of you, you need to pray. That it's been way too long since you prayed. You're not three days, you're four days, you're five days. It's too long since the last time that you prayed. And so we have a prayer team in the back. They would love to pray for you. And then others of you, you need to experience God's presence. That you're in such moments of pain and darkness and despair. And I want you to know that God's presence is available for you. Even in the middle of it. Redemption Church meets every Sunday morning on Crockett Street at the gig. If you would like to know more, you can find us online at www.redemptiontx.com or join us for one of our two services at 9.30 or 11.15 a.m. Sunday mornings in downtown Beaumont. Kids are welcome too. We are Redemption and we would love to meet you.